Very good. Hey, listen, I need to, can I just be honest with you guys for a minute? Can we do that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Brad, Brad's like, yeah, for sure. He's looking at his phone. He's texting. He's like, no, no big deal. On the gram. Vining. Is that what the kids call it these days? It's not a thing. Wow. All right, so here's the deal. I'm really excited about this week. I'm really excited about this message. I believe God's given me a word. I'm looking forward to it. We're in week four of our Greater Love series. I'm really excited about bringing it. I think it's going to be good, but here's the deal. I've, I've dealt with this attack this week, right? And I'll, I'll tell you why I'm telling you this, because I need the energy up today. Can y'all help me out? Because here's... Here's why. I don't even want to call this a stomach bug because stomach bugs come and go in like 24 hours and you get to eat popsicles, right? Is that, that, and you get to sleep. This is like a stomach oppression. I haven't eaten in three days. I'm getting new symptoms every day. <laughs> and, but so far, I haven't been contagious. Nobody else has gotten it in my family, so don't worry. I'm not like you don't have to stay away from me or anything like that, but I'm super, I'm hungry, I'm weak, but I'm also like, if I, if I get nauseous, I'm, we're going to, listen, what I'm trying to say is we're going to get through this because of the Holy Spirit, and I've got a 48 count of anti-nausea pills, yeah. <laughs> amen, so, but I need y'all's help because I need y'all to keep the energy up today, okay? But we're going to jump right in this thing. Hold off on putting the scriptures up for me, guys. But we're going to jump right into this. We're going to go into Matthew 16. Um, we got to celebrate the resurrection last week. We, we came in here and we celebrated the resurrection of Jesus. And we, we kind of, before that, we, we led up to the events that led to Jesus being crucified and led to him being resurrected. But we're going to fast, or uh, we're actually going to rewind just a little bit uh, to an encounter that happened with Peter and Jesus while Jesus was still here on earth, while he's still here. And here's why. Because it echoes and has ramifications for our lives today. Now, this conversation between Jesus and Peter is powerful. And you're going to see why. And we're going to focus on kind of this core body of Scripture today, but we'll go and we'll pick up throughout. All right? So, if you have your Bibles, it's Matthew 16, we'll start in verse 13. If you have your electronic devices, we'll also be, you can follow along with me on version. If you don't have it, the gentleman can put it up on the screens now and you can follow along with us that way. Starting in verse 13. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, Others, Elijah, still others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. But you, he asked them, who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered. Peter always had something to say. He always had something to say, right? He's that guy. He's that dude. And listen, he's the guy that you often benefited from because he would say the stuff and, and be embarrassed because of his ignorance. And you would... You would probably be thinking it, but, but you could always count on Peter. And I remember people like that in high school, cause, and I remember this, I, and I was thinking about this, and I was like, you know, I remember that guy in high school, you know, that would raise his hand, and you know, he's about to ask a stupid question. I'm probably thinking the same thing, but he's going to ask a stupid question. Peter's that kid in class that's, that raises his hand, and the, the, kid, the teacher's just like, oh, 
okay, okay, Peter. But, but you know, and here, here's the thing. If you're having problems thinking of who that person is, you're that person. We're going to be honest in church. We're going to set some people free today in church. You're that person. But in Matthew 16, verse 16, on the, on the B side of that verse, we see that Peter is about to get something right. Because he's about to identify who Jesus is, not merely on the basis of his miracles, not merely on the basis of the mechanics of his ministry. He's, he's not just looking at Jesus and, and what he said, but rather he sees the potential for what Jesus is as the true Messiah. And only the Spirit of God could have showed him this. As a matter of fact, when, when Peter identifies Jesus in this way, we're about to read it, Jesus knew that this was not merely Peter talking. He knew that it was a higher power. It wasn't something that Peter had just figured out with his, with his mind, with his head, trying to figure out who Jesus was. Here's what Peter says. He says, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. You are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Here's Peter. He always normally says stuff really dumb. But he says, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus responds, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my father in heaven. And I also say that you are Peter, which means rock. And on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth will have been bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will have been loosed in heaven. Then he gave the disciples orders to tell no one that he was the Messiah. From then on out, Jesus began to point out to his disciples that it was necessary for him to go to Jerusalem, suffer many things from the elders, chief priests, scribes. Then he would be killed and raised on the third day. That's what we celebrated last week, was Jesus being raised on the third day. He's foretelling this to his disciples. Today I want to talk to you about the potential of never. That's my title today, if you're taking notes, the potential of never. Father, I pray that our time together, Lord, you just say exactly what you want to say. Help us pick out the, the important principles in this story, not just that, that Peter was able to see who you were and not just that you were able to, to tell them what you were about to do, Lord, and that you did it, but Lord, help us find the meaning in this conversation, in this encounter. In your holy name we pray, amen. Before we go much further, I want you to do me a favor. Look at your neighbor and say, you're lucky that you're sitting next to me today. If you're not sitting next to somebody today, stop being awkward. I'm just kidding. So for those of y'all that don't know, I have tattoos. I know that might surprise you. These are not fake. Um, I have tattoos. I got them after I was saved. Um, none of them are crazy. Most of them have to do with music, which is worship, so it's biblical, right? Um, so I've got these tattoos. I've got this sleeve. Obviously, you can see it. It wraps up around my arm and onto my chest. I have a mom tattoo right here. Is that all my tattoos? It's, it's embarrassing when I don't know worse when you don't know. Um, so I have all these tattoos. 
But the longest that I've been able to sit for a tattoo sitting is four hours. After about four hours, my endorphins are gone, the adrenaline's gone, and honestly, there comes a point, and I'm serious, and maybe some of you that might have tattoos can attest to this, there comes a, a time where you just look at the tattoo artist and you're like, if you touch me again, I'm going to hit you. I'm legit going to hit you. I'm not playing. Stop. Don't touch me. Don't wipe it. If it gets infected, that's fine. I'll get a new arm or something. Don't touch me again. Four hours is about that threshold for me. Um, as a matter of fact, my friend has done most of my tattoos and uh, the last time I sat down with him, he was getting ready to, to run a line. And I was like, listen, dude, I'm just going to be honest with you. If you touch me again, I'm going to burn this shop down. <laughs> and, uh, you know, so it was kind of weird. But um, when the first time I sat down, I felt like a total lightweight. You know, I, I sat down and I had the, my sleeve worked on. And I'm looking at my friend. He's covered in tattoos. And some of the areas that you're just like, I know that hurt. Why did you get a tattoo there? You're, something's broke. Something's broke in your, in your mind. Why did you get a tattoo there? And, and, and I'm sitting here. I'm like, I'm a wimp, man. I'm a wuss. And uh, he, he looked at me and he said, bro, I'm surprised that you lasted as long as you did with some of the areas that I had to do because he had to do my collarbone right here. He had to do up on my chest right here. He had to do right here in my armpit. Yeah. See, some of y'all... Some of y'all aren't getting it because y'all don't have tattoos. This hurts. Do me a favor. Lift your arm up like this and just pinch as hard as you absolutely can. That's what it feels like getting a tattoo there. And then right here hurts pretty bad too. And the more they go over this, the more it kind of starts to hurt. And uh, I, I, I was like, you know, he, he, he's like, especially the areas that I did, they're some of the worst places to get a tattoo and I didn't start there. And I'm like, well, why didn't you start there and get the worst part over with? And he looked at me and he goes, I didn't think that you would sit through it because the, the, the pain. I didn't think that you would get the potential because of the pain. I didn't think that you would sit through the process because of the pain. And I wonder if the reason that Jesus waited until this point in his ministry to tell his disciples the truth about what was going to happen to him because he, he really had to start now explaining what it was going to cost them to follow him. He, because he, he knew that if they really knew what it would mean to follow him, they probably wouldn't have gone through the process. If they would have known that he was going to have to go through all of this pain, all of this suffering. And we'll read a little bit later what this suffering is going to do because Jesus actually knew what the suffering that, that he was going to go through was going to do to his disciples. He knew how much pain it was going to cause them. He knew that, that if, if he would have revealed it at another, another point, they maybe wouldn't have gone through the process because of the pain. Now, I wonder if God works in our lives in stages like that and stages showing us what we can handle at that point in time. Because God's got this great infinite knowledge, and I, I, think, and, and I think you'll agree with me that at certain parts in our lives, when we go through something, it can be overwhelming, and it would have devastated us. But there's other parts in our lives where that same pain, that same thing that we go through, just unleashes the potential in us. And God knows where that is. Now, there's a real tendency here 
to judge Peter and what we're about to read. First time, you got to think about this. This first time they've heard Jesus talk about him dying like this, and, you know, he's getting super honest. It's getting dark. You know, he, he's sitting here talking about who am I to him. He's sitting here talking about, well, listen, this is going to happen. I'm going to go suffer. I'm going to be killed, but I, it's okay. I'm going to be raised to life on the third day. They're hearing some stuff that they probably, you know, it, it, it's catching them by surprise. Prior to this, they've heard Jesus do things like multiply the bread and do these miracles, these amazing miracles, and heal the lame and speak with this power and authority that, that no one else had had. But as much credit as we give Jesus for seeing the potential in Peter, where he, he, he tells Peter, you're the rock, I think we should take a moment to recognize that it took faith for Peter to recognize the potential in Jesus. To recognize that Jesus was the Messiah. Peter was able to see this undistorted view uh, of Jesus at a deeper level. There was something about this miracle worker. There was something about him that was unlike the others. There was something about the way that Jesus was. There's something about the way he spoke, the way he prayed, the way he lived, the way he led, that drew Peter to believe that this was the one. This was the one that was going to change everything. So can you imagine that now Peter is saying, you're the Messiah, and now Jesus is saying, yeah, but I'm going to go die. Peter says, you're the Messiah. He's saying, I believe that you're the Messiah. And this isn't like just saying, I believe in you. This isn't saying something like a flattery way, like I'm not buying into your potential or I'm not investing in who you are because Peter lets Jesus use his boat. <laughs> Jesus uses Peter's boat, his livelihood, and it's unique to me that Peter was the one that saw that potential in Jesus, that potential to change everything. But now you flip that, and in the same way, Jesus saw the potential in Peter that no one else saw. That no one else saw. We know Jesus calls Peter the rock, the rock which my, I will build my church. There's indications that Peter was still unstable. We're about to read it. There's still indications that Peter's unstable. And we see that Jesus was judging not according to, to Peter's performance or his past, but rather his potential. Jesus saw something in Peter. He saw his potential. Here's a, here's a modern example of potential. This, this is one we can all understand. I can hold on to your phone right now, and I can't do probably all that much with it because I'm not familiar with it. As a matter of fact, my wife and I have the exact same phone, exact same color, exact same uh, space, everything. We bought it on the same day. I can hardly use her phone because of the way she's got everything saved, the way she's got her apps saved on different home pages and stuff like that. It takes me forever just to be able to pick up her phone and recognize where something is because I don't know much about her phone. But, but check this out. The one who possesses has the intimate knowledge of the potential. It's unique to the one who possesses it. So Rachel can pick up her phone and she can navigate through stuff like 
half the time she doesn't even have to look at it because she has a unique intimate knowledge because she possesses it. Now, in that same way, I believe that there are things that God knows about your potential that your mother doesn't know, that your father doesn't know, that your best friend doesn't know. I think that God knows things about your potential that even in your greatest triumph, in your greatest moments, in your greatest victories, things that you can only imagine. Where God speaks not from the vantage point of your performance, but rather from the vantage point of your potential. Where God speaks not from the vantage point of your performance, but rather from the vantage point of your potential. How many people are grateful that God sees your potential? How many people are grateful that God can look past the... the You've got to understand... Jesus is having this encounter with Peter, and he's, he's even surprised at how Peter answers him when he identifies him. But he knows where this conversation is going to go, too. But he still calls Peter the rock because he sees the potential. When other people want to hold you down, when other people want to hold you to the level of your past or your worst moment, God sees your potential. Jesus calls Peter a rock, and yet he's still unstable. Now, we're getting ready to read this. We're getting ready to read where he's still unstable. Now, keep in mind, Peter's just gotten a gold star saying that Jesus is the Son of Christ, the Messiah. And no sooner he does correctly state who Jesus is, that he makes a move that just makes you want to facepalm. Some of you who have kids know what a facepalm is. Yeah, some of you who have kids definitely know what that is. Um, let me tell you a good example of a facepalm moment. My daughter has gotten to where she takes one nap, and she takes a doozy. Normally it happens a little after lunch, and she'll sleep sometimes till like 2, 30, 3 o'clock. Well, I've started realizing that, hey, this is a good time for me to catch up on any naps that I might be needing to catch up on, you know? And so a lot of the times I can even get Judah to come in there and he'll sleep with me and it's great. This is like community nap time. This is brilliant. So here's what happens though. Sometimes Judah doesn't go to sleep. He lays there and then he decides that, okay, daddy's asleep. I'm going to go play. So he'll go in his playroom, and he normally doesn't get into anything. He, he's quiet. He's great. I know that if you know my son, you might find that hard to believe. Um, he li literally just stays to himself until Lila wakes up, and then if I, and Lila doesn't wake me up, he'll come in there, and he'll be like, Daddy, Lila's awake. Well, the other day, he comes around. I'm laying on my side, and he taps me, and he goes, Daddy. And I'm like, yes. And he goes, I stopped up the toilet. <laughs> now, that's terrifying, but it's also not the worst thing you can hear because I've got a three-year-old, and he's potty trained, and he likes to use a lot of toilet paper, so it doesn't really surprise me that he stopped up the toilet, and I'm like, that's something I can handle in about an hour. Come back, and he goes, I stopped it up with paint. So now there's the facepalm moment. 
So this is where, this is, you could feel your blood pressure rising, right? That's blood pressure. That feeling you have, that's blood pressure. And then you just go, oh, okay. And so you get up, and I walked in there. Now, it ended up not being a big thing. What had happened is he has soap paint. He poured it in the toilet, and then he went to potty, made bubbles, made him think that it was stopped up. You know, so I flushed it, cleaned it up. No harm, no foul. But you can understand what a facepalm moment is, right? So I'm going to show you Peter's facepalm moment. He goes from high to low, one moment, faith-filled, accurate in his assessment of Jesus, to making a statement that contradicts the whole purpose of God. And I want to show you this because I think it will help people because some of us might have done this this morning, Right? Some of y'all are going to be home, going home later and be like, what would you tell Pastor Jeremy what happened in the car? You know, um, I'm going to be 100 with you. This uh, actually happens to me on quite a bit. You can ask Rachel. She'll tell you right now, I'm sure, actually. It happens when I crave food of certain kinds and I don't get it. Um, I get hangry. And I don't just get hangry like, man, I really wanted that. Like there's times, listen, don't judge me. Don't judge me. Don't make me come out and ask your spouse what I need to preach on next time for you. Um, so here's what happens to me, though. Like, it always goes this far. And it, 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 normally, it normally takes it to get to about this far before I'm like, how old am I? Um, I'll be looking at Rachel, and I'll just be so, like, hangry. And she'll be like, are you okay? And I'm like, yeah, it's just nothing ever goes good for me. You know, and she's like, it's food, and I'm like, you know what, you're right, it's food, but it was really good food, and, 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 and <laughs> my faith wavers, my faith wavers, I can go from, I could go from being somebody who, who is strong to being somebody that's like, man, I didn't get my barbecue, I didn't get my you know, la last night, all I wanted was mint chocolate chip ice cream. I knew I wasn't going to hold it down. I knew that it was going to make me sick. But I saw this Breyers commercial, and it was this big scoop of mint chocolate chip ice cream. And I, I text my wife, and I was like, I've never wanted mint chocolate chip ice cream more than I do right now. And I'm like, if I don't get it, I will die. And I'm like, I will die miserable back here in the, in the bed, nauseous. And so she bought it, and uh, I was right in my assessment of not being able to eat it. But I wanted it. I wanted it. While we have the greatest potential for power and purpose, we also have the same potential for pain and failure because we're human and we can operate in the power of God or in the power of the flesh. And, and, and Peter demonstrates this right here in verse 22. He, he, he hears the explanation of what's going to happen to Jesus in Jerusalem and, and he takes him aside and he begins to rebuke him. Oh no, Lord, this will never happen to you. Now, some translations say, never, Lord, no, never. Some say, never, never, Lord, depending on what translation you get. But you get the idea. This will never happen to you. Now, I could tell you that it's always a bad idea to explain to the God of the universe as to why his plan is not correct because it does not conform to your agenda. <laughs> right? 
So basically, Peter is saying, never, never, Lord, will this happen. Now, the Greek word for, for never here is a strong word. It's very emphatic. It, it, it's the Greek word for, it, it's called ume. Now, the phonetic, phonetic, ah, phonetic spelling is ume. So that is how you pronounce it right there. It means never, certainly not, not at all, by no means. It's a double negative. It's not even grammatically correct. Peter is so confident right here that he knows what God is going to do that he says never, no, not never to Jesus. And I used to say this all the time um, before I had kids. Let me, let me tell you how. I had friends that had kids, and I would look at them when their kids were kind of being crazy, and, and I, I had this one friend, and he looked at me one day, and he's like, sometimes, bro, you'll realize that when you have kids of your own, it's better to just let both you and them calm down and come back and, and handle it later when there's calmer heads. And, and, and I used to tell him, this is kind of the example, but you can, you can replace it. But I used to say something like this, I will never give my kid a popsicle when he needs a spanking. You know, but then the blood pressure gets up and I don't want to go back to jail and, and, and Judah's acting crazy. And, and I realize, I realize something that that never is flexible. <laughs> that never is flexible. That popsicle looks a lot easier right now. Somebody say never. never. It's this kind of false confidence. And I can tell you that life will challenge our concept of never. I'm well aware that there's people everywhere today that never expected to be in the situation that they're in. Right now, other people's marriages will fall apart, not mine. We will wash one another's feet by the love of the Lord before my marriage falls apart. Never talk to my spouse that way. Never struggle with that. I just don't understand how people could get hooked on that substance. Not me. Not me. You may, but not me. Ume. may. You may. <laughs> yeah. It worked. It worked. I, I didn't know if I wanted to put that in there. I'm like, they'll get it. Even if it's at lunchtime, they'll get it. People everywhere are gathered this morning, and you never became your reality. Your never became your reality. I don't get people that struggle with depression. I don't get people, the Bible says to rejoice in the Lord always. Give thanks in all things, in all circumstances. Give thanks. That means in all things. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will rejoice. This is the day that the Lord has made. But what happens when something happens to you that knocks you off balance and you find yourself in the place that you never expected to be, what happens? And furthermore, what happens if you don't know what to do? I never thought that I'd be the one that, to, to deal with anxiety and now I'm the one that's having problems catching my breath or I never thought that I'd think a thought that dark. I didn't struggle with it when I was a teenager. We come to a place oftentimes where we see Jesus, we see the Messiah, we see everything that he says that he's going to do, 
we come to the place where it can all be taken away, but we often pretend that it's not there. Because that's the tendency, right? Can we be honest in church? That's the tendency. Because normally what happens is somebody will say, I never thought I'd deal with depression. I will rejoice in the Lord always. Always I will rejoice. This is the day that the Lord has made. Then that day comes and knocks them off balance. And rather than saying, Lord, help me, they say, no. This is the day that the Lord has made. I will never struggle with depression. I will never do this. And they ignore that it's already there. And it can be taken away. Now, all of this reminds me of another time that Peter would tell Jesus never. Last Supper, Peter was, or Jesus was telling the disciples that they would all scatter. Peter looks at Jesus and he says, never. Recall that Passover meal. We, we even talked about it during this series. Jesus says, this is my body broken for you. And here's the thing, is the disciples just aren't comprehending it. They're not getting it. He's telling them, not only is he going to die, but none of you will be able to process this information, and your faith will fail you. He's telling them, this is going to happen to me. It's necessary for it to happen to me to save everyone but it's going to be too much, and you're not going to be able to handle it. You're going to fall away. Listen to me, church. This section gets skipped in this scripture all the time. This section gets skipped because the church doesn't talk about what happens when our faith fails a lot. They just tell you it shouldn't. They just tell you it shouldn't. And, and, and our faith shouldn't fail. But what happens when it does? Jesus looks at his disciples and he says, one of you are going to betray me. Spoiler alert. And the rest of you will not even be there when it happens. The disciples were there eating the bread. And Peter looked at him and said, even if I have to die with you, this will never happen. So here's the question, or here's the answer to the question, why or what do I do when it happens? You acknowledge it. You don't pretend. You don't put on church clothes. Because here's what I found out, church. It's the people that will not acknowledge their weakness that are the most susceptible to it. God put on my heart to tell you today to preach to people who are here in a situation where they never thought that they would be struggling with what they're struggling with this morning. They never thought that they would be dealing with what they're dealing with this morning. They've watched other people deal with it. They've seen other people deal with it. But we never thought that it would be us. 
Never thought that it would affect us like that. What do you do when you find yourself in a situation like that, in a situation that you swore you'd never be in, that you never imagined? We celebrated the resurrection of Jesus Christ last week. And what the resurrection does is it challenges our concept of the word never. Because although I've never seen somebody get up out of a grave, when God says never, he says a very different never. And what I believe that God wants to do today is challenge our understanding of what's possible our understanding of what could happen, our understanding of the potential that's there because there are so many of us that's given up hope and the new word of your life is never. You'll never be happy. You'll never be free. You'll never see it be possible for you. Some of us have reached a point to where we say we'll never connect, we'll never love, we'll never be healed from this, we'll never be rebuilt, we'll never recover. But heaven speaks of a different never, and I want to show you another never, because this never does not come from the mouth of Peter, it doesn't come from the mouth of a man that's, that, that's shaky, it doesn't come from the mouth of a man who, who's, who's never is movable. It comes from the mouth of God, and it's found in Hebrews 13, 5. And I need some people to get ready to shout on this, because after you've been through all that life has thrown you, after you survive some of the worst possible assaults on your faith, on your mind, and on your sanity, after people have left you, after circumstances have drained you of your, your energy, there remains a promise in the Word of God, and it's not a promise from Peter is God's promise. I will never leave you or abandon you. They might. They might. But God says, I won't. God's promise. I will never leave you. I will never abandon you. Never, no, never. God says, never will I withdraw my love for you. Pastor Josh hit on this so great this morning. Never will my love for you be abandoned. God will never walk away and give up on the plans he's made for our lives. Never, no, not ever. When God says never, he means never. There's nothing the devil can do about that. There's nothing that your past can do about that. People could change their minds about you, but God doesn't. God sees your potential. Our hope is not hollow. Our hope is not empty. Our hope is not circumstantial. I want to read you one more scripture. It's found in Romans 5, 2 through 5. It's probably one of my favorite scriptures. It says, we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And not only that, but we also rejoice in our afflictions. Because we know that affliction produces endurance. Endurance produces proven character. And proven character produces hope. 
This hope will not disappoint us because God's love has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Hope in the glory of God is very different from the praise of others. It's different from having hope in the middle of bad circumstances. It's different from hoping for kindness in life. Now I want you to watch this. Your hope's been through the fire, it's been through hell, it's been disappointed. But we've got a living hope. And I want to close with this today. He showed us on the cross how to deal with the penalty of sin. But that's not all he showed us. He showed us how to deal with the pain and find the potential in it. To let us know that the sufferings at this present time fails in comparison to the glory that will be, be revealed. Church, I believe there's great potential in everyone here today. I believe there's great potential that I'm not even sure that you know about right now. But sometimes potential is hiding behind pain. Sometimes it's hiding behind something that we think was sent to just only knock us off course. Can you imagine being there when Peter says that I know that you're the Messiah and Jesus confirms this and then he tells everyone that he's going to die could you imagine the feeling that that must have felt like to know you're looking at the Messiah but that he's going to suffer and he's going to die you found the potential, but now you're being told that it's hiding behind pain. It's hiding behind suffering. Will you go through the process of the pain to get through that potential? When God says always, he means always. Because while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While I was still a sinner, Christ died for me. While you were still a sinner, Christ died for you. Not on the basis of our performance, not on the basis of our would-be performance, but on the basis of our potential. By the Spirit of God, I just declare over your life today that God has not changed his mind about you God loves you your pain is not going to negate that your struggle is not going to negate that 
you would, bow your head and close your eyes this morning.